Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? Every business, no matter how large, no matter how small, will be on the internet in the year 2000. It's the primary way that people will look up information. It will replace the yellow pages as we know it today. Some of our listeners may recall the grating sound of dial-up internet while waiting forever for a page to load. Our younger listeners may have been surfing the web through a smartphone by the time they entered university. We've come a long way from having to share a phone line with the internet in order to access it. We've watched the rise and fall of many an internet phenomenon. Remember the Y2K bug? We've also witnessed dramatic shifts in how we use and engage with the internet, from basic emailing to entire social networks. And now there is a lot of buzz around the newest version of the internet, Web 3.0. The word in cyberspace is that this latest tech trend is kind of a big deal. Many IT leaders argue that it will have tremendous impact on how businesses communicate with their customers and streamline their operations. But before we get too technical, it's important to understand what Web 3.0 is, and why it's on the rise. I'm Erica Van Noort, and you're listening to The Catalyst, the podcast dedicated to exploring the intersection of people and technology. On this episode of The Catalyst, I'm speaking with Craig McQueen, Vice President of Digital Acceleration at SoftChoice, who is here to give us a crash course on Web 3.0, or as some call it, Web 3, how it works and why it should matter to IT leaders and transformational businesses. When Craig's not devising strategic solutions for customers at SoftChoice, he's busy contributing to a distributed autonomous organization, or a DAO, sounds kind of 007, and surveying the latest developments in blockchain technology. And if any of that sounds confusing to you, well, it's a good thing you're tuning in to this episode. Welcome, Craig. Great to be with you today, Erica. Been really looking forward to this conversation today. Something I'm passionate about. Fantastic. Okay. So in a few sentences, really want to understand what has sparked your interest and your passion in Web3. And what's been your experience with it? Oh, great question. And it it goes back just over a year ago when I thought, what is this Bitcoin thing? Maybe I should investigate it. Well, it completely opened my eyes to something that was happening that I didn't realize, which is actually a revolution in computing. So although the focus and the ads are about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and why you should have it in your retirement fund, That's not what it's really about or exciting. There's a whole new computing platform uh, that's going to enable new applications uh, across the world. And uh, with my background in engineering and software development, that's where I went down the rabbit hole and uh, went pretty deep on really understanding what is this platform that's been put in place. So, Craig, Web3 is grabbing a lot of attention today. So let's talk a little bit about what it is because it has the potential to transform IT and business. So what is Web3 and how does it compare to Web2 and Web1? Well, let's bring it back to Web1. Time travel back to about the mid-90s. And there was two fundamental things that happened. One is the internet. And the internet was a network that everyone could use, not owned by anyone. 
And it didn't necessarily have to go that way. Bill Gates, if you look at history, and if you remember, there was the information superhighway. Microsoft and others were going to have a gated network. And the real revolution was, no, a network that everyone can use and access. Combine that with HTML, Hypertext Markup Language, which allows you to publish pages that link. And all of a sudden, you have a platform that anyone can publish around the world. And it was really that democratization of information that was really revolutionary. And um, if you peek at University of Toronto, you'll find my very first web page and digital photo actually stuck in 1995 because I don't have access to it anymore. Erica, do you recall the first website that you might have visited? I do. It was RBC, Royal Bank of Canada. There was nothing to transact, but it was like brochureware. And I remember because I was banking with RBC at the time. Exactly, brochureware. And that's what Web1 was, information that different people published. And companies thought, well, this is a way for me to publish some information. Now, with uh, many of us human beings being entrepreneurs and capitalists, of course, people started thinking, well, how can I make money off of this thing? Well, interweb two. And there's two ways, basically, to make money. One is, as you said, transactions. And all of a sudden, you could buy things anywhere in the world at the click of a button. And uh, if I think back, well, that's probably where I really started accumulating the books in my bookshelf because Amazon made it really easy. So that was a lot of the, the web two was making accessible all kinds of things all around the world. Now, the other thing you can monetize is attention. Advertising is monetizing attention. And so if you build something that holds people's attention, well, you're going to get more advertising dollars. And so social media, which people become addicted to because those uh, likes are dopamine hits, <laughs> created the Facebook world. And so that was the other part of Web2 was uh, monetizing the Internet through advertising. Yes. And so huge companies were created. Now, the thing is, it created silos again. So all these organizations were siloed applications connected by the internet. And each of these organizations had your information. And so you have your ID with all these different places that you transact with or have social media accounts with. They have all your information. And this wasn't quite the original intent of the World Wide Web. The World Wide Web was about democratization. And uh, of course, there's been a ton of value created for individuals through these uh, Web2 applications, but uh, there's a different way to do it as well, interweb3, which is about decentralization. And um, we talked about the internet creating a network for everyone that nobody owns. Web3 creates storage and compute that's part of the platform and that nobody owns. And I'll share why that's uh, really important. Uh, one of the first things that's part of this is identity. Instead of Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon having your identity, you own the identity yourself and you only share what you want to share. And so any Web3 application, they have to validate with your singular identity. So no more all of these accounts all over the place and organizations having your information. Okay, does this also mean I don't have to remember as many passwords? You have to remember one password or have a hardware key, which uh, which I use uh, to, to do the authentication. 
Fantastic. That sounds like a business case for Web3 right there, just uh, on the on the consumer side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about why IT leaders should be paying attention to Web3. Like, what is the impact you see for them? Let's uh, first talk about the storage and compute, because what that means is information can be published and not owned by anyone. And, and this is where blockchain fits in. This is a, a, a published ledger. So that's what Bitcoin is, is it is, uh, you know, a worldwide bank account. There's not siloed banks all over the place. It's a worldwide one, a singular ledger that's available. And um, then you can also put other types of information on this worldwide ledger. And this is why they say Web3 is um, going to be great for content creators. So instead of having your content with one corporation and then that resells it, you can use Web3 to have it in one place and uh, no corporation has to transact it for you. It, it is available um, globally. And so that's, that's one thing that, that will start to be interesting for business is instead of maintaining their own database, whether you're you know, land deeds or uh, any other types of assets, it can sit on a, a, a ledger that's available to anyone. Now, the other important piece is the um, business rules that apply to that data. And in a Web2 world, every organization, every application would have their own business rules on how that's run. With Web3, those business rules can be published for everyone to use. And that's why it's decentralized and not owned by anyone. So the impact of that is uh, this is what enables uh, things like Bitcoin to be um, transacted by anyone globally, because it's a common set of business rules that are that are, are published. So some who are listening are probably still going to think that Web3 is a bit of a fringe technology. Is that the case? Uh, my opinion is no, and and uh, I could share some leading indicators if that'd be helpful. Yeah, I, I'd love that, as well as some some players in this space as well. I think would be good. Sure, uh, you know one one thing you do is you follow the, the developers, and and what we're seeing in the industry is the top developers in the world, those that might be working at Google or Microsoft, they're going to Web three companies. That's where they get excited and, and where they see the, the future possibilities. And where the top developers in the world go, that's where a lot of the innovation is going to happen. Um, another example is Microsoft recently invested $400 million in a company called Consensus. Uh, Consensus is one of the leading Web3 product and service companies. It's actually one of the uh, five founding members of Ethereum. Uh, Joseph Lupin started it. Uh, Google just announced that their uh, have created a Web3 division. Um, many of the top venture capitalists, such as uh, Andreessen Horowitz, that's where they're putting uh, most of their investments. Uh, not too surprising since Mark Andreessen was one of the creators of the original World Wide Web. Yes. And then finally, though it, it varies by billions of dollars week to week, <laughs> there is over 1.5 trillion, 1.5 trillion invested in the crypto uh, space and it really is that uh, cryptocurrency that powers the computing platform of Web three. Wow. Okay. Well, that's sounding like a lot of investment and a lot of attention is being paid to Web three. So, 
I guess that's the uh, the examples in the business case there in itself, particularly when you talk about those that are investing, when you talk about Microsoft, Google, and, and some of the uh, venture capital firms. So let's say you've convinced businesses to get involved in Web3. How do they join the bandwagon? Like, where do they get started? So like, there's the belief model of, okay, we need to do this. Then it's like, what's next after you sort of, you're bought in? What, what do you do? Sure. And maybe I'll separate into, into two areas. Uh, one, just personally, like what could anyone do as an individual just to get more educated? And then I can talk about business. The one exercise that you will learn a ton is purchasing a little bit of cryptocurrency using a hardware wallet. And the reason you'll learn so much is because um, a hardware wallet forces you to learn what it means to have your own identity and how to connect to Web3 applications. It's not necessarily an easy process at this point because it's early, but that's why it's so important to go through it because you'll, you'll learn a lot of the base concepts. So the two main hardware wallets are a treasure and a ledger. If you pick up one of those and just buy a small amount of crypto, you'll, you'll learn a lot. Great. That's some great education there. Yes. So let's talk now about the company side. So you're, you you want to get your feet wet. You want to know how do you move into the space as a leader of IT? So if you believe that either at some point you might transact with a business partner using cryptocurrency, or if you feel that you might want to use a Web3 application, then it would be worthwhile to start experimenting. And in order to use any Web3 application, you have to use a cryptocurrency such as Ethereum. And it would make sense then to, well, let's figure out what this means, not just from a technology perspective, but from a corporate governance perspective, because uh, it, it really will cause people to think about some of their policies and how do we manage this cryptocurrency uh, versus something uh, such as a bank account. It's hard to keep up with the latest internet trends, especially since it feels like it wasn't that long ago we were all first introduced to the World Wide Web. I wanted to see what my fabulous friends at SoftChoice remember about the dawn of the internet versus where we are now. What's your earliest memory of surfing the web? Chat rooms. I remember calling a friend or two and telling them to log onto the chat room I was in so that we could talk together online. And I mean, if I'm being truly honest, I also experienced what every parent feared at the dawning of chat rooms, which was online dating. And I'm really using air quotes here for the dating part. But I mean, I'd chat with strangers and pretend that I was someone else, which I'm sure that they were doing too. It was innocent for me. I knew never to meet up with anyone. It was just something that a young girl wanted to experience and talk about with her friends. I remember as a child, the day my dad bought home a modem and hooked it up to our computer. And I remember that this was just before the days of Netscape, because I had to dial into what was known as BBS, or Bulletin Board Service. These were the predecessors of the World Wide Web, small communes of tighter-knit communities surrounding a central topic. Hobbies like gaming, collecting, and it's all ASCII, so there's no images and graphics or even web pages. Just text and pictures drawn using text characters. Imagine that. It is amazing how far we have come. If you could change one thing about the internet today, what would it be? 
the abundance of misinformation. Um, I personally do my best to carefully select my news from reputable sources, but if the last two years have shown me anything, it's that there are a lot of people out there who believe everything that they read online. And unfortunately, we've seen what this can do to us as a society, and it can be pretty damaging. I would like it to be kinder. We have a few facets of inspirational content and influences, but I would like to see it become communities, refuge and strongholds. I think that's what I would like things to change. So you've mentioned different things. You've talked about applications like smart contracts, things you might want to get involved in. So how can that Web3 be beneficial to business, right? So what are some use cases that you and some of your folks are maybe seeing already in action? Yeah, there's one that, uh, that I think is a fantastic use case, and it, it's being quite productive, I think, in the industry already. It's an organization called uh, Goldfinch Finance. And uh, the purpose of, of this organization is to help with uh, financial equality and access to capital. So there, there's many parts of the world that just don't have access to cap- capital. So a small business owner can't really get things off the ground because uh, they just don't have the money. So they've created a set of smart contracts and a system that allows anyone in the world to contribute to a credit pool, such as in Nigeria, they have one in in Mexico, and they make available um, loans um, that are funded through cryptocurrency. And uh, it's actually a stable coin, meaning um, it is a cryptocurrency, but it's it's tied to the U.S. dollar, and uh, this really helps democratization of access to capital. And I think so far they actually have 100 million dollars under loan. What's interesting because it's implemented as a smart contract, other applications can interact with it. So uh, Goldfence has their own front end application, but if for whatever reason somebody else wants to build another Web three application, front-end application, to utilize this credit mechanism, they can just use the exact same smart contracts that have already been put in place. So it it not only helps uh, some existing people have access to capital, but they've built a credit infrastructure that people can then build new other credit applications on top of. It's a a microloan platform globally available. That's pretty cool. And the, the rate of return is typically 15 to 20%. So that's much better than you get in your bank account. I'd say, wow, wonderful. So I have a question around just overall Web 3.0 or 3. We've heard about how um, the environmental impacts on a lot of this technology, right? So when we think about the impacts of blockchain, so if we think about it from a sustainability point of view, any thoughts on that about the potential cons of this as opposed to the complete upside that you've been sharing? Yeah, sure. And it's a complicated topic. And I think in in isolation, yeah, for sure. It can show how these mining operations consume a lot of energy. I think that needs to be compared with what's the equivalent energy consumption of the same financial transactions. So for instance, you know, people tend to say, well, what is Bitcoin is nothing. What really, it's just numbers. 
No, no. Bitcoin is thousands and thousands of computers and people supporting them all over the world that has put in place an electronic payment infrastructure, which is unbelievable. This is the first global electronic payment infrastructure. And so if you think of the existing payment infrastructure, such as SWIFT, you'd have to think about, well, what is the environmental impact of existing infrastructure and all the overhead that may be in it? And, uh, you know, does, does the infrastructure supporting Bitcoin outweigh all the inefficiencies of the existing one? I don't know the answer, uh, but uh, I'm just pointing out that you, you can't look at it in isolation. It, it needs to be looked at in comparison to, well, in order to facilitate these financial transactions, what is the cost of what's in place today? Okay, so the now versus the future, and we don't always know the true cost of the now. So let's figure that out before we assume that the future is going to take more. Yes, exactly. And and people are getting very creative with um, uh, of making some of these mining infrastructures, you know, net neutral by using solar power, wind power, and um, and the you know the, the the computing boards are just getting more and more efficient. So there's been a lot invested just to make them. Uh, more environmentally friendly. One of the biggest challenges organizations are faced with today is security. So when you think of, when you're telling me about you're eliminating all of these different logons and sign-ins and you're going with something that is, um, you know, unique to you, et cetera, like maybe just share a little bit about how do you perceive or, or based on what you know about Web3, like what are the security advantages as well? Yeah, there'll be there'll be security advantages and security challenges. So um, if if you're using your own ID, there'll never be anything such as email and password leak. So you know how many times you've heard about, oh no, this corporation got hacked and now you know there's 20 million email and passwords on the dark web to purchase. Um, because of the change in the authentication mechanism, it, it, it that won't necessarily happen. Um, What's a bit fascinating about the smart contracts that I mentioned is that in, in most cases, the code is publicly visible, which is almost scary. That means that everybody, you know, that everybody can see uh, what, how that code is executing. And so in some cases, uh, that has, has turned into um, some hacks where some of the, the crypto projects have lost a lot of money because somebody did find a way to, to um, trick the, the code because it wasn't secure enough. But on the flip side, um, when security is done well on the code because it's publicly available, they actually have code bounties where people are in, incented to try and uh, find problems with it. And so there's it's an interesting crowdsourced way to make the code very robust. Web3 is decentralized storage and compute powered by cryptocurrency. Awesome. That was pretty straightforward. So Craig, thank you so much for being here today. You know, it's pretty cool when I think about it. You're the VP of Digital Acceleration, which really gives you like license and opportunity to bring this passion you have personally directly into your role and to how you accelerate this as a practice at Soft Choice. You know, what great news for our customers. Yeah, that's a good call out. And yeah, it's it is part of my responsibility to make sure that we're relevant in three or four years. And so uh, keeping on top of things like this and, and then continuing to um, share it with our customers through things like Catalyst 
podcast is, is what we would continue to expect. And so. Very fascinating. Well, I have to say, I'm I'm quite uh, taken by all of this, and uh, definitely I'm going to be leaning in and, and looking at uh, getting myself a hardware wallet and giving some of this a try, um, so that I'll be able to further my dialogues with you, if anything less. So, Craig, I want to say thank you. I really enjoyed being with you today, Erica. Thanks. Whether we're ready for it or not, Web3 is not just another flash in the pan of internet evolution. The newest version of the internet is primed to drastically change industries in both anticipated and unexpected ways. As an IT leader, now is the time to get ahead of the curve so you can set your business up to ride the wave with ease and maximize the potential of all Web3 has to offer. Thanks for checking out this episode of The Catalyst. If you liked what you heard, please share this episode with a friend or colleague. The Catalyst by SoftChoice is a Pilgrim content production in collaboration with SoftChoice. This episode was produced by Jessica Schmidt and written by Christina Clark. Executive producer Tobin Dalrymple with production assistance from Nicole Francis. Talk to you again in two weeks.